Vision Zero is supposed to be about using the best engineering technology we have to apply to the problem, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to see the data. I want to have a conversation about data. I want to hear from the traffic engineer that says, you know, these are the things we can do. I understand that in LADOT, Salida Reynolds is attracting newer people who yeah. are, are on board with Vision Zero, on board with doing things differently. Yeah. If we're going to go through this transition period, let's start talking about how yeah. we make it happen. And the most important thing is, is when you implement these kinds of changes, make sure you do it in a way that it's going to be successful. So the community will be like, well, I don't know if we like it, but then you have it and it's like, oh, Oh, well, it looks like it's working. Yeah, we need more. We need more data. We definitely need more data. I want more data. This is good. I can. Am I close enough? Yeah, everything's overall close. No. Test, test. So, uh, let's go. Mm -hmm. So, we have Selena Inouye. How do you... Yeah? Inouye. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don Ward. Hi. Hey. And you, Selena, contacted us when you heard the Don and Alexis interview from last time. Right. Um, I represent a group called Restore Venice Boulevard. We're a group of neighbors that came together uh, after the road diet was installed on Venice Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're concerned about the negative impacts that the road diet is having on our community. We're not against uh, better biking infrastructure if that's what our local bicyclists want. We're not against pedestrian improvements. I, I actually walk a lot on Venice Boulevard, and I like some of the things that they've done. I think they could have done more in terms of helping pedestrians. But really, what we're concerned about is the road diet, and is the road diet working for our community? Was Venice Boulevard an appropriate candidate to actually have a road diet? And if the concern is about people speeding on Venice Boulevard, are there other things we could be doing to stop speeding and then reducing any kind of serious injuries or deaths due to speeding on Venice Boulevard? What can I ask, what do you think is motivating uh, people to, to do this? You said you understand you know, where we're, we're coming from. Well, I, I understand where, because I listened to the interview and I understand where the biking community is coming from. I understand that uh, you have issues with people getting seriously injured and killed. Uh, a lot of those things are happening in relationship to cars. Although recently I've read where people have gotten injured because of potholes and weird things in the road and then hitting it and then flying off their bike, which is, you know, also, right, a concern. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I understand that, you know, you guys have been doing this for 10 years. You are advocating for your community. You feel you need, uh, better protection for bicyclists. And I know you're also linked with the pedestrian groups too. So, and pedestrians are saying it's not safe walking in LA. We want to be safer. Um, I, I agree. I think that those are great goals that, that we should be working towards. What is, um... Now, you live in the neighborhood? Yes. And I'm assuming you uh, have been living there for a long time? or Yes. I bought my house in Mar Vista in 1994. Okay. So, so 
the you know what I've been hearing is that the uh, reduction of the lanes has driven traffic to the side streets. Is that kind of your your uh, main issue with the uh, the configuration on Venice? Like it's generating a lot of side street like ways kind of points people in different directions to avoid the the backups and the during rush hour and so forth. Right. So there's two issues with the road diet. Uh, gridlock. And when I talk about gridlock, I'm not talking about traffic. I'm talking about people stuck, not moving, have to wait for several cycles of a light to get through an intersection. Um, and then we're talking about cut through traffic. So a lot of people are ditching off Venice Boulevard to get out of the traffic. And then apps like Waze are now redirecting people all around Venice Boulevard. Yeah. The other thing that I've recently found out, um, I'm in a group on Facebook that's for Culver City. And they were talking about their transportation planning. And their transportation planning is all about keeping the traffic on Venice Boulevard, right? Mm -hmm. Keeping it out of their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what's happening on Venice Boulevard and Mar Vista is we're pushing all the traffic onto Washington Place, Washington Boulevard, and Culver Boulevard. So the road diet is actually working in opposition to what Culver City wants to see happen. So they're each trying to push the traffic into the other's... Well, everybody's trying to get the, the traffic to stay on Venice. And Culver City actually does a really good job. Um, in their neighborhoods, they have a lot of compact traffic circles and right turns only and, and obstacles that actually uh, keep drivers from choosing routes through residential areas, which personally, I think residential areas should totally be protected. I mean, uh, as somebody, it, it, it actually serves... The, the residents, your kids should be able to play in the street like we all did when we were kids. Um, you know, you want to be able to cross a residential street without feeling like you're going to get run over by some scofflaw driver. Um, so, and also as a bike rider, I choose a lot of residential routes when I can um, because th there's stop signs and there's things that, that make it uh, more difficult for a driver to speed through the area. You know, I feel safer. A lot of times, like 4th Street Bicycle Boulevard, for example, um, goes all the way from, uh, you know, like uh, MacArthur Park to um, to La Brea, and you get a full boulevard all the way through, and there's a lot of stop signs, and it keeps cars from blasting through there. And so I'm a big believer in keeping the residential streets protected, and I think that the LADOT in this case... Um, and in a lot of cases, they they don't um, do what they can to protect the residential areas. So what they could have done, for example, in this instance, is uh, first set up the residential streets to uh, to be more protected before they even did something on Venice. Um, that means introducing compact traffic circles and things in general that just protect a residential area. I think every residential area should get that protection, road diet or not, you know, adjacent road diet or not. Um, so but yeah. one of the things I think we need to talk about, though, is um, was Venice Boulevard an appropriate candidate for a road diet? Um, if you go to the uh, U.S. Department of Transportation Federal Highway Administration website, they have guidance there about how to implement road diets. But what's missing is guidance about implementing road diets on, on roads that have five and more lanes. So I went looking for 
uh, guidance on that. And I only found one paper. Unfortunately, the name of the author isn't on the paper, so I'm not sure exactly who wrote it. But there's a good example in that document. They talk about Colorado Boulevard in Eagle Rock, which I believe had three lanes going each way and then a center median. So similar to Venice Boulevard, right? The big difference in this paper is they said that the ADT, the average daily traffic on Colorado Boulevard, was about 34,000. In the same paper, they say the average daily traffic on Venice Boulevard is 45,000. If you look at the guidelines for four-lane streets, they say you really shouldn't do this over 20,000 ADT, but you could probably push it to 26. Where does it say that? In the on the Federal, Federal. Highway Administration uh, website, um, the other big difference between Colorado Boulevard and Venice Boulevard is our median is concrete, right? It used to be the old red car line. Yeah. On Colorado Boulevard, when they took the two lanes away, mm-hmm. you emergency vehicles could drive down the middle of Colorado Boulevard in that turning lane because there's nothing obstructing it, is there? No, they still have a median there, too. Right, but is it a filled-in median or is it an accessible one? I believe it's a filled-in. We could look it up just to make sure, but I believe it's filled in. So This thing is making so much noise. So really the concern here is um, road diets typically are used on roads that aren't used to capacity, right? You've got kind of this concept of extra space. So the extra space makes it so that people can speed because, you know, it's clear sailing, right? So the idea is take the extra space away, which will slow the cars down, and then repurpose the extra space for other great stuff like pedestrian improvements, like biking infrastructure improvements. I would say to you, based on my limited research, that Venice Boulevard was being used at full capacity. There wasn't really a lot of extra space. So putting in a road diet, I believe the gridlock and the cut through traffic are the consequences of putting in a a road diet on a street that's used to high capacity. Yeah, just just for notes, Colorado does have the median. Did they put those in as part of the lane reduction? You know, I don't know. I think they were already there because those are really expensive to put in. But uh, I believe those were already there. So then maybe the difference here that we're looking at between Colorado and Venice Boulevard is the whole issue with the, the ADT, the average daily traffic. Yeah, there's, see, there's, there's. Verified, by the way, the Venice is, you're saying it's. 45,000 ADT, is that, where'd you get that? That's So that's in the research article that I got. Mm-hmm. I know that when Fear and Peers went out and they did a 24-hour study on, uh, what was it, September 22nd, 2015, they measured it at 38,000. But then I've also seen information from Caltrans. Now, this is a little bit of a different number, and the annual average daily traffic and that number is closer to 45. I would I would believe those numbers. You know, I think I think uh, you know the problem with our city and I'm sure you've heard it when I was talking to Alexis mm-hmm. um, is we've been building this city for cars only for 70 years. And Venice Boulevard actually um, if you go way way back when they had the red car um, was four lanes. And, 
Yep, you had a red car so in the I middle. So I brought a picture of the That's red awesome. car. Yeah, right. I know. And it's so sad that they ripped out the red car line in this town. Um, you know, we had the largest rail transit system in the country. And uh, they ripped it out in the 40s and the 50s. Final rip out was in the 60s when they finally got rid of it all. And people were just really excited about machines. It was the jet age. They... They got their own personal machine. It's like sort of like our phones are today. Like we're really excited about it and we want to use every excuse possible to use it um, or we're addicted to it. Um, that feeling in Los Angeles has gone away a long time ago. And we're sort of these, um, what do they call it? Like the frog in the boiling pot where um, conditions just, you know, don't improve no matter what we do. And we do a lot the LADOT claims to do a lot, or in the past, to get traffic moving. And it just doesn't work because there isn't any more space. You know, we still got people moving here. And, um, you know, there's going to be more people moving here. We have, we, we have a lot of space. We have a lot of place for people. And there's a demand people want to live in the cities. And Los Angeles is one of those cities. So what are we going to do moving forward um, it's just not going to work continuing down this path of building for cars only because then everybody chooses a car and then you have a traffic jam. And, you know, I talked about this with Alexis. There was a study and it's pretty much common sense that, you know, mo uh, probably about 40 to 50 percent of traffic is local trips of one to three to five miles, something like that. The, the study was, you know, I found out about the study through the League of American Bicyclists. Take that with a grain of salt. But I think it's pretty uh, common sense to understand that most of our trips in a car are pretty short, um, save for our commute. Now, the thing with Venice Boulevard is, you know, they've reshaped that street over the last, you know, what now 60 years since they ripped out the red car to be a basically a de facto freeway and you can go all along venice boulevard um, and you see the businesses that have that have sort of become blighted the old business districts and the thinking now and and really the the proof is in the pudding with with road diets like like york like virgil which were also streets that were that were at one point, uh, you know, they, they, they squeezed in more lanes because that was the thinking. We put more lanes, we're going to get more people through. Um, that's counterintuitive. What happens is you do that, but then all of a sudden your business district becomes... It, no, you mean it is intuitive, like you think it would work. You think it would work, but what you're really doing is you're just encouraging cut-through traffic that those people are not interested in stopping at a business. Those people are interested in getting from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And we made it easy for people to live far and drive into work. You know, at a certain point we did, I mean, back in the 50s and the 60s. But that, that model has gone out the window. Um, it now is just a total pain in the ass to live far away from where you work and to drive through these corridors and, uh, you know, what we're doing is we're ruining these old business corridors. So the thinking and the, you know, you mentioned that, that it's now a little bit more friendly to cross the street in that area. And that's the goal is to make it 
so that you can cross the street without fearing for your life or having to cross six lanes of traffic or seven in the case of Venice. Um, it makes it easier to connect that business district together. And that's what people want when they go to a cafe. They want to be able to walk across the street and do something else and check out the little shop. And that's what's happening on Virgil, Rowena, York. These areas that have these old business districts are getting revived because we've made them more pedestrian friendly. Now, the disadvantage is cut through traffic has a problem and the neighborhoods have a problem. And the LEDOT fell short by, I think, not initially going into the neighborhoods and protecting the neighborhoods first and then introducing this um, lane reduction on Venice, which, um, you know, like I said, it connects the business districts, the old business, it connects the businesses. It gives you a better place um, for the neighborhood, but it makes it. It makes it more hostile for the cut through traffic, which is, you know, that's like a good four or five hours a day. Right. Well, can I on that? Yeah. Uh, this thing about the cut through traffic. I mean, you're um, you talk, you're talking about the the community there that wants it or doesn't want it. Well, that doesn't want it. Um, well, they're divided, what? right? I mean, there's some people. I mean, I'm I'm in a couple groups that are locals that that are. Act actively trying to defend the road diet from the neighborhood. Right. Um, but what I was going to say is, what, mm -hmm. you know, how do they feel about cut-through traffic? Does it, I mean, are you protecting, are, is your group Restore Venice sort of um, speaking for cut-through traffic, you know, people who don't live there? Right. The cut through traffic is impacting our neighborhoods. Cars are speeding now down streets that typically didn't have a lot of traffic on it beforehand. So kids playing, like you said, in the street are now in jeopardy. A cat crossing the street yeah. is now in jeopardy yeah. of getting hit. Yeah. We've got these tremendous backups on like palms which goes right by Marvista Recreation Center. You know, these are people that are trying to avoid Venice Boulevard, you know, either get home or get through the area. But now you've got this long line of cars. I live near uh, McLaughlin and Washington Place, and I try to cr cross uh, McLaughlin in the middle of the block to kind of walk down to, you know, the business district in Venice Boulevard. I literally have to stand on the corner now and like wait much longer because all these cars have diverted now onto McLaughlin because they want to go to Washington Place, Washington Boulevard to continue their trip. Mm -hmm. So I'm standing at the corner waiting for the cars to clear so I don't get hit crossing the street. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is really kind of the problem that we're facing. And I hear so what you. If, what if they yeah? made it so that these cars don't have, just hypothetically speaking, mm -hmm. any good route through that area so that they have to sort of do something else altogether. Like, what if you make it hard for them to go down McLaughlin? So, I understand that that's one way to combat cut-through traffic, but honestly, we're looking at the west side. We're looking at a lot of development happening in the west side. We're looking at creating more housing so that more people will live on the west side. I think that the solution to this problem isn't 
closing off streets so you can't get off Venice Boulevard. I think the solution to the problem is getting people out of their cars and into some other mode of transportation so that we can reduce the ADT on Venice Boulevard. So if the goal here is we want to do a road diet on Venice Boulevard, which probably would should include a conversation with the community to get them Absolutely. to buy in, right? We need to get people off that street. So or out of their cars, you're saying. Right, right. Well, same thing, right? Less ADT, less cars on the street. Well, we don't want to send people in cars into the neighborhoods. We no. don't want we don't want people to be jammed up um, you know, during their uh, commute, which is insane. Every street in LA during rush hour is just insane. Right. And uh, it's it's over. Like I can't believe that people are still trying to live that lifestyle. That's you know why I see this this housing shortage, which is a whole other conversation, is is becoming exacerbated. Everybody's like, screw this commute. I don't want to live in the valley. I don't want to you know. I want to live near my work. And there's a demand now to live near work and to live in walkable neighborhoods and live where you don't have to drag your car around to do stuff. I think that's an amazing transformation of Los Angeles. It's unfortunately something you can't snap your fingers and suddenly have happen. So I think the weeds, you know, Alexis was was also saying he wants, you know, he's only lived here for about seven years, he said. You know, and people come here and they, they, you know, they come from wherever they come from. And, you know, other cities have solved this. Like Alexis came from Chicago. They have plenty of public transportation there. So you don't have to rely on a car. We have not solved it yet because we're still, I don't know, we're, 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 we're working on it. The, the, the culture's changing, but we're, we're not there yet. So how do you get there and what's the process to get there? And it sort of, you know, it made me think, you know, with Alexis, um, you know, that some of the comments he was making was just sort of like, do you understand that we live in this city with so many different forces at work that it's a miracle that the culture is changing and it is a miracle that things like Measure M passed and Measure S got defeated and people are saying loud and clear, we want affordable housing, we want public transportation, we don't want to be stuck in our cars. What's the process to get there? It's going to take you know, 10, 15, 20 years to transform this traffic grid into something where everybody has mobility, a mobility choice, you know, and not everybody, you know, well, not, actually, none of us are talking about eliminating cars. I own two cars. I drive everywhere. Today, I took my bike and I got on the red line and I actually got here quicker than I thought. I was in Silver Lake and I got here in 20 minutes. It's pretty awesome. Um, but no one's saying get rid of all the cars. We're going to have cars forever. But the idea is more options. Okay, I got to get somewhere at rush hour. Uh, I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to take the transit and ride my bike. I'm going to take the bus that goes through the bus only lane to get there. More options, not just drive a car. That's, that's the goal. And it's going to take time. And there's, you know, where do you start? You got to start somewhere, and and what they're doing is is they're starting with the 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 more the the pre uh, car era traffic grids like Virgil, like York, like Rowena, where um, it's a walkable neighborhood and there's businesses that you can go to and get your things done without having to drive somewhere to do it. And I think it's a great idea, and and Mar Vista is one of those neighborhoods, and Venice. Look at Venice. Look at the the buildings along Venice. They used to have 
a bustling corridor of businesses there. And that got taken out just like like what happened with Glendale Boulevard and, and Alvarado, where they, the LADOT or the forces, the powers that be over years and years widened the streets, took out the rails, um, flushed more cars through. And, those, you know, those cars are not interested in the local businesses. Those cars are going from A to B. And that's the tragedy of L.A. is that we remade our wonderful walkable streets and neighborhoods into these flush throughs uh, for car traffic from from, you know, the valleys and, and wherever people are coming from. Um, and it's, it's just yeah, a if, tragedy. If, I mean, I, uh, Selena, yeah, you're, it seems to make sense. And this might just be intuitively, though, since we are using that term, that you get people off the um, into what, what was the thing you said? You, you get them out of their cars and their into cars another form first. of transportation. But I think the the impression I'm getting is that Venice is kind of offensive the the way it's engineered to people who understand the way the streets ought to be, like who know more about the way streets ought to be than I do. It's like Don is saying, it's this pr- uh, car era when we were excited about cars. That's the way it's engineered. So. Re-engineered. Because it used to be a walkable street. Okay. Well, and it used to have the red car down the middle. Yeah, and it would stop and you'd, like, you'd be able to go walk across the street safely. So, I mean, if this is a bad design... Uh, You're talking about the current road? The current... Mm-hmm. Would you say it's a bad design? Like The, the, not the, the protected the bike down. lanes? No, no. If the, the unprotected Venice with seven lanes... Through it's a bad design if you want to walk from one side of the street to the other. Right. What, so is it? There's there's like there there's like these long from stretches. From a human perspective, from a human a perspective, design. there's a long stretch in a lot of places where you got to walk probably a half a mile if you want to do it legally, where you cross at an intersection. Right, but you know you they walk changed along. that, right? Uh, no, I know. It, in in Mar Vista, yes. Yeah, with the that was crossing. wonderful. That yeah, was wonderful. Exactly. They need to do that in the entire length what of Venice. They, they they put in they put in crosswalks, mid block crosswalks that I guess they're they're flashing light ones, right? No. You have to push a button, you have to wait for the li- the signal to change. Is it, it takes a while. Is it a yellow flashing light or it's a red flashing light? No, it's light? a red light. Okay, you even cross. better. Yeah. Th- um, there are some issues with that. I think it's contributing to the gridlock with the signal timing. There is some issue with if you try to cross during rush hour, which I've done, mm. you kind of get stuck in the middle of the street for two to three minutes, which is a, mm. a little uncomfortable with they all the cars. They need to improve that, right? Wh- losing by, right. Yeah. They've also done the leading pedestrian interval at the the intersection love so that. and I love that too because you know the cars don't go yet I get to step off the curb get my you know get myself into yeah. the intersection and then I'm already there so the you know the cars making rights you know don't have to conflict with me you know what's funny is is sometime back in the early 70s they changed the law on right turn on red mm-hmm. to where you could you used to not be able to make a right turn on red mm-hmm. that's very pedestrian friendly Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in their quest to flush more and more cars through, they changed the law so that you can turn now right on red. And people are just people are animals. They just they don't care about anything other than them getting through faster in their car. And a lot of pedestrian deaths happen because the car driver is not looking to the right when they're making a right turn. Well, that, that's another you know, question I have. That's a dangerous situation. We're well, talk- some drivers are like that. Not everybody. I think it's the culture here. I mean, I, I, I could sit at a stop sign 
and watch. I mean, you know, I'm saying this as a bike rider, and bike riders run stop signs all the time. But you look at a, at a stop sign. The, I don't see car drivers stopping at the at the limit line. Mm-hmm. They go all the way to the to the to the, the round. California roll. Yeah, the California <laughs> roll and. You know, I I now am a, am, a, am a reformed driver, believe it or not. I, I was one of these L.A.-born jerk drivers that just drove everywhere as fast as I could. Now I'm the complete opposite. I drive, I want to make my drive not hostile to pedestrians and bikes. I time the lights. I stop at the limit line. When I see a crosswalk coming up, I slow it up. Even I slow it up for intersections. And, you know, so, and I wish everybody would do that. But, you know, then... I mean, you know, we'll have we'll have a whole lot of so there'll be a whole lot of backup. I guess traffic, right? But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. When I time the lights, I don't have to stop for a red light, and I think that's a big deal. I think people rush up to a red light, they're crammed in, and then it's like a slinky, and and it takes longer for them to get going again. So when I drive and I time the lights and I cruise through on the green, I might be going you know, 18, 20 miles an hour, but I'm not stopping. And I see people rushing ahead of me, then they stop at the light. They're not improving their time, you know, their average oh, speed God. or I their mean, time. They're just rushing up to the red light, stopping, and then wasting gas and, and wasting brakes. And sometimes people will, like, you know, get on you because you they don't feel you're going fast enough when... Yeah, there's a red light the, in front of There's a red light. Yeah. But wait, so you remember the time, Don? Yeah, we did the, the I, gas experiment. Yeah, Don was uh, taught me how to... <laughs> Hypermiling, it's called. And he has this ga- I love your car because my cars are old, you know. Mm-hmm. And his car has a uh, a uh, gas mileage meter, which I'm sure all modern cars have. I have like a really old four by four. But you drive if if you drive and you hypermile, it's called hypermiling. But if you if you really time the lights and just slow it up and get through on the greens. Like your gas mileage shoots I way up. I normally got thirty between thirty and thirty-four miles per gallon, right. and it went up to sixty. Right. So you were trying to maintain a constant speed, right. which meant the battery power could kick in and stay activated while you were driving. You versus hybrid? yeah, oh, okay. versus people who like hit the pedal to the metal with mm-hmm. their Priuses, right? <laughs> so they're using the gas more because they're trying to like push it, right? Yeah, and they're zippy cars, so you can't help it. You practically rest your foot on the gas pedal and the thing jams. Well, and, you know, at one point in time, weren't they talking about signal synchronization? Whereas if you were going a certain speed, you would be able to do that, maintain the lower speed. What there, happened to yeah, that? Yeah, there, there is this, um, I don't think they've implemented it yet. This was a very interesting idea because they did have syn- signal. There's a different signal synchronization that they've always been talking about since the 80s. And that doesn't work because you've got a traffic grid and you've got cross streets and there's just no way to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is very interesting where uh, they have signals that sense your speed. And if you're going too fast, it'll go red Mm -hmm. and cause you to stop. So it'll train people to drive slower and and more consistent. And that, I think, is a great idea. I hope they they implement it because... Because the big thing that we're running into as, you know, as a person, a cyclist, um, is the off-peak. I mean, peak hour traffic is really aggressive. You know, everybody's driving like a total jerk. But off-peak hour traffic is also dangerous because people are just driving on these wide open streets as fast as possible from red light to red light. 
And if you implement some kind of uh, synchronization like what you're talking about, um, that would be amazing because I think it would uh, it would it would you know teach people to to just drive a little slower. I think I hear I heard Selena for a second objecting to characterizations of drivers as all being one way and everything, but I think you have to well, assume not that everybody. Even, well, uh, people do what they can get away with generally, and I agree. You know, even cyclists are the same, but uh, the 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 danger is much less, obviously. A cyclist. You know, cyclists can be a danger to pedestrians. But not the same But level. not a danger to a car. You know, you're basically <laughs> no. taking your own life in your hands if you're riding like an idiot. But um, right. you know, if you drive like an idiot, there's, 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 there's other problems. There's, you, can, you can run somebody over in a crosswalk, um, kill them, and face no consequences, you know? You can run somebody down, uh, kill them drive away and the consequences may be like a year or two in jail if you get caught you know and it's not, a lot of times it's not even that much and often the incentive is to drive to drive away because the consequence for hit and run is so uh weak it's it the the legal consequence is weak compared to to uh driving under the influence that's that's really what's driving car uh, car drivers to, to run i think um the guy that hit me Totally had insurance, was rich, um, you know, had a, a $90,000 car, uh, but he took off because I believe he was drunk and he didn't want to get caught um, and go to jail, you mandatory day, you know, two or three days in jail, it's $10,000. Mm-hmm. So that was an incentive for him to run. We've got pr- a problem with our state laws mm-hmm. on that. You're and better off. You're better off. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't really publicize it, but ideas, I think everybody pretty much knows. Well, but let's talk a little away, bit then, then about stay. Vision Zero, right? Let's talk about the philosophy of Vision Zero, which is to cri- try to create a fail-safe transportation system so that if some if someone makes a mistake, it doesn't result in them being seriously injured or killed. I think we can all agree that that is a good philosophy. Um, the question is, is then how do we get there, right? How do we implement it? So my understanding with Vision Zero is it's three things. Engineering enforcement and education um if you don't have all three things working right we've you know we've got room for improvement here right um so i lost my train of thought well the the (laughs) ultimate i mean i see that there's a lot of backlash against vision zero um, Mm -hmm. happening um and i understand it because i don't think that the city does a good job pretty much of anything, but the city doesn't do a good job of outreach and and educating the public on this. But, you know, at the same time, the city, you know, only has so many resources to talk to people. There's poor outreach on it, right? So Vision Zero comes from, I believe it comes from Sweden. Yes. And they're just like this utopian society that we'll probably never achieve here because we're just maniacs over here and they're just like really calm and quiet people over there but because we like our freedom we love our freedom it's i mean a they have freedom mindset you know what's what's beautiful I've, I've ridden around the netherlands and and a little bit in denmark what's beautiful over there is they do actually they do have a lot of equality um when it comes to their infrastructure like any street is a safe street to ride a bike on so what ends up happening is people choose to ride a bike because they can, 
And not everybody can, and so they still have car traffic there, and they still have t- public transportation. That's great, but they've they've really taken and, and you know their streets were transformed in the last thirty years. They've really taken a lot of time and dedicated a lot of energy to transforming their streets to be uh, safe streets. And over here, that just sounds crazy to us because we're so, the culture of might is right is so ingrained in our traffic grid that um, I can't even see eye to eye with a a progressive like Alexis and other progressives that you start talking about um, transforming our streets, they, they, they get really tense and hostile about it because you're talking about um, creating space for not just cars, but uh, walkers and bikers as well. And that's just this foreign concept. Well, Alexis, after we stopped recording, I think he said his solution was to take uh, cyclists and pedestrians off the street. Put them in tunnels? Well, what did he <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. But did that's, you say, that's another thing that people talk about all the time. Like, well, just put him in tunnels. Because Elon Musk and his underground yeah, dumb ideas. car. Yeah, no. yeah, see, Elon Musk is another guy. You get this guy, I don't know where he's from, but maybe he moved to L.A. And he's just like, ah, traffic is just horrible. My Teslas can't go. You know, they're running out of the energy in the traffic. I got an idea. Let's build tunnels everywhere. Yes, we've heard that. We've heard about the monorail. We've heard about the tunnels. The thing is... You build more, they continue to drive. The 405 is a perfect example. We've, we've widened that thing. It's probably, what is it now, Tw- 20 lanes going through there? I don't know what it is, but they've carved away at that mountain. Since I was a kid, they've been widening that thing. And all it does is just encourage people to drive more until it's filled up. That's the problem with our streets. People will fill up the streets until there's no more space. But let's talk about that because I grew up in the valley and my dad worked in El Segundo. Oof. And uh, he drove a van pool, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he tried to do his his part, right? Thank you, Dad. Yeah. Thank what you, part dad. of the valley? I grew up in Encino. Okay. Um, but one of the things I remember them talking about, was it in the 70s or the 80s, was about putting a monorail down the middle of the 405. Now, I know people think that was impractical and a crazy idea, but... I got to tell you, my dad really liked that idea. He liked Absolutely. the idea of having a way to get to El Segundo where he wouldn't have to drive He wanted an pool. option. Exactly. Well, the, the beautiful thing is, is that there is, I mean, monorails, there's problems with monorails. But, you know, they're not fast. There's a lot of ugly infrastructure sitting up above that homeowners are going to complain about. But... There is a plan that Metro has to dig a tunnel. Now, if you get a tunnel, if you get a subway going from Panorama City, you know, through the mountains, underneath Van Nuys, to Westwood, where all the kids are, to El Segundo, where the jobs are, I think that thing would be off the hook popular. You know, it would cost about $2 billion. It would cost about 2 uh, lane widenings on the 405 to get that thing through, uh, you know, maybe it'll cost more, I don't know, $3 billion, $4 billion, but it's worth it. It's worth it because we're, I, we're done. We're done. Can I ask uh, With cars. So, uh, you, you're pro, like, public transportation, right? I am. Okay. Yes. But, um, so what if they were going to raise your taxes? <laughs> they They're already always did. raising our taxes. Oh, they already <laughs> did. Are you cool with that? No, no, no. Measure M already happened. We so got a half cent sales tax. How do you feel about that? So, Are you good with that? In terms of taxes, right, 
I know that they keep coming back and asking us for more and more money. What I would like to see happen is if you say you're going to collect this money to use for this purpose, use it for that purpose. Stop putting it in the general fund. Do what you're going to say you're going to do. The other thing is, is like that bullet train to nowhere. Why are we building that? Because that is actually a beautiful thing. Because Will it be beautiful at the yes, end? Because yes. right now it's kind of crazy. Well, what's okay, there's, there's a contingent of, uh, you know, interests that don't want that thing to happen because if we get a good bullet trains work around the world Mm -hmm. wonderfully in china in china they'll throw down 300 miles of bullet train in like a couple years they're they're insane over there but it's in france it's in germany it's everywhere it works it's current technology that works and you know what the fear is in the united states and maybe i'm going to sound a little conspiratorial but There are forces at work that want to keep us in our cars and keep us sucking on the gas. And, and, you know, there's oil companies and there's I don't think there's any denying that they have a lot of influence in our political system. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the people that allegedly ripped out our rail lines or that worked on that. Um, And and there are forces at work that are that are, you know, trying to disrupt the high-speed rail projects well, because what, what's wrong with the high-speed rail? If, not if, if, if we b- if we build well, they're, they're, they're the big complaint is that they're they're they're. Uh, it's going nowhere at the moment. It goes from Fresno to where? Well, the the ultimate line that the way that I understand it is San Diego to San Francisco connected through Los Angeles through Palmdale. And uh, a couple other areas. Will I think. it go to Vegas too? Because I know that was one of the proposals. See, too. that would be genius. Yeah, they I know. Need to, I would they take need that. to have one that goes to Vegas. That for some reason they're not building it. There was some Chinese company that wanted to do it, and I don't know what's going on right now. But they need to build that. You know, they need that. And for some reason, there's just constantly a drone of of uh, negative press that comes out about high-speed rail, about, you know, any type of improvement, about Measure M. There was a lot of negative press about the bikes, about walking. There's just constant negative press coming out that says, don't do all this stuff. We, we need to remain, you know, stay the course. We need to do this car thing. And what, what the high-speed rail is going to do is there's a ton of people that, that, that drive the 5 freeway to get to uh, San Francisco, to get to Palmdale. If you go to the 14 in rush hour, it is jam-packed with people that are coming. They could take the high-speed rail. They could – it's just it's, – it's, it's just sad that, that, that it's getting dissed so much. Hopefully they make it work. But what usually happens is – they get beat up so bad about it that they build something that's not smart, that it isn't efficient, and it sort of goes in this, you know, wiggly line that, that doesn't make any sense. And that's what's been happening for the last 40, 50 years with all of our infrastructure, with the Metrolink, with Amtrak, with high-speed rail is happening. There's just forces at work that don't want us to get efficient with our transportation. So so if you if the answer for you... Well, first of all, is there a problem? Yes. There's, there's a problem. There's a problem what's, right what's now on Venice Boulevard. I mean, I don't mean the road diet. <laughs> I mean, before the road diet, was there a problem? Before the road diet? Yeah. 
I was not aware of a problem on Venice Boulevard. I, we've looked at the looked at the Switters data for Venice Boulevard. There weren't a lot of. I mean, there were some people killed. There were five people killed, I think, in the last 10, 15 years. Wow. Um, I believe. From 2003 to 2016, there were 444 accidents. I think 144 of them were severe. Um, overall, in our community, we were not hearing that, that Venice Boulevard in our, our neck of the woods was a dangerous place, right? So, you know, uh, do you know that we don't use the term accident? I know. I mean, and yeah. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> and, old. And, but, and, and so you know why? Well, I know, because the focus with Vision Zero isn't on accidents. It's on serious injuries and well, people getting killed. we use the word collision because accident implies that there was no way to prevent it. Okay. But that's kind of a distra distraction. So the Switters data um, says five people were killed. Switters data is only, uh, we only have till 2013 to have all the data from Switters, unfortunately, there's a, there's another problem is, you know, there's but just Switters. a million. Switters is the state something, something, something crash report system. It's uh, the reporting system that the CHP uses. Yeah. And uh, because Venice Boulevard used to be Highway 187, managed by Caltrans, I believe that's... 187? Homicide. Right. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So the Switters data is gathered, it's managed by the CHP, but it's gathered from local police right. and it takes a couple of years to get it all in there. So they never have the, the latest statistics because they don't, I don't know, they, they don't want to know. But the thing about these, these incidents is these are reported incidents and they're indicative of a lot uh, more than just that one incident because... A reported incident, it takes, you know, usually when you get into a crash, the cops aren't even going to come out unless somebody dies or gets severely injured. They'll just say, handle it through your insurance. What we really need is to be able to get the insurance industry data, which I don't know is available, that tells us about all the fender benders, all the crashes, all the things that don't get reported. So a serious crash means there's probably another, you know, who knows, 40 or 50 additional crashes that happened that we just don't know about because there wasn't data collected on, which is sad. Right. But, but, but. The store of Venice you know, the, is, the, has the, these volunteers out there with notepads and cameras. That's great. Cameras and, well, so. I don't know, though. I mean, can we, is that like. That's any not any kind of citizen, independent. any kind of citizen reporting like that is great. But, it, you know. But it's not, it's not very, it uh, doesn't seem like it would be unbiased if you're already coming from the point of view. I, I believe them. Okay. I believe them. I don't think they're liars. Well, and, I, and I, I agree with you, too, about the point about the insurance industry, right? Because not all accidents get reported. We know no. that for a fact. Collisions. So, uh, or collisions. I'm sorry. I, you will train me by the end <laughs> of the time to say it right. I'm sorry. Um, so we do need that. We do need better information, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Um, but um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I mean, the key that I think that you mentioned was it's now easier to cross Venice there. It is easier to cross Venice in terms of the pedestrian improvements, but mm -hmm. it's having a real negative impact in terms of the vehicular traffic. No, and it's not. It's I've gone there. You right. know, I go to the Mar Vista Farmers Market sometimes. Or I commute through there. I don't live in Mar Vista, you know, but that's a commuting route that I use. And, I mean, I've even driven through there at 
times that aren't rush hour. And it doesn't, there's, there's no backup, you know, like for, I, I would guess well, 18 to 20 hours of the hour. day. Yeah. You're pretty much saying that it's, it's no, rush there's, hour. There's certain times of day, right. Yeah. Where the gridlock is happening. Yeah. And the, the concern about gridlock, right. Um, I, I know that there's issues about setting speed limits, right. And there's this thing called the Solomon curve. And the right, 85th percentile. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. but the other side Can of that curve. That? Hold on. Let okay. The up. other side of that curve is if you slow cars down too much, mm-hmm. you increase fender benders. So the uh, citizen reporting that we're having now on Venice Boulevard about accidents is an increase Collision. in fender. Oh, in fender benders. Okay. Increase in, in, fen- in fender now, benders. Now they have data from beforehand about fender benders. No, they don't. Oh. But and, now and, that uh-huh. is an interesting point that you bring up because the Vision Zero in well, the Vision increase if they don't have data from before. So the people that live in the neighborhood mm-hmm. have noticed that there have been more fender benders on Venice Boulevard. Okay, I mean that's anecdotal, but we'll accept that. Now the thing that you know the Vision Zero professes. I mean, well, the I Vision we'll Zero. Hold on, the vis- okay. I'll accept it. I mean, he might not. He's the host, so he's the no. Guy. But I'm just saying, the, the, when you have the, the group that's they don't have previous data. Don't, they're I, just they're just I, sensing I, that there's more. I would question that whether the people who are motivated to really examine this and get and have it removed are doing it because of an increase in fender vendors. I, I think they have other reasons, and then that data was gathered. Uh, because it to, to sort of support it supports I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just accept them on okay. what they're saying and present what you know this this has also been addressed by Vision Zero in Sweden in Sweden they say you know what um, we're not trying you know we we know it's going to be impossible to uh, prevent all mistakes from happening. The goal is, is that when a mistake does happen, it's not a deadly mistake or even a highly injurious. Did I say that right? Injurious? I think so. <laughs> injurious mistake. So they've, you know, they still accept that collisions happen. They're just like fender benders. And therein is where this culture change also starts to happen on our streets where we're eventually going to learn not to drive so fast. I'll because take the, you know what? I'll take the fender benders. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, me too. That's what the fenders it, are for. It actually makes it safer in general. It's a safer environment if all you're having is fender benders. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't want more fender benders. We want, we want less collisions, period. So, but if, if fender benders are an unavoidable result of slowing cars down, they're, 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 they're like an immediate result of people being confused or frustrated. But after a while, the cultural change is, hey, maybe it's not so smart to speed up to this red light. You know, I'll just uh, tone it down a little bit and drive calmer. This is, the, this is the cultural change I've gone through. Like, my drive, I don't get angry anymore. It's so crazy. Like, I actually just drive. and. Mm-hmm. And sort of, I'm like the Bob Ross of driving. Like, I just sort of waft down the road, and there's a little cloud and a little smiley person who feels safe because I was driving safer. (laughs) But I think the issue here is I understand that, uh, you know, under Vision Zero, a fender bender 
or even talking about collisions at all. See, I got it. Um, <laughs> um, that's not really the concern. The concern is about sin- serious injury and, and deaths. Yeah. The community, on the other hand, right, there wasn't a conversation about the Vision Zero before this got implemented. For the community, an increase in fender benders is concerning. Well, and it's it's a perceived... We don't know for sure, but there's a perception that, inter- that, that fender benders have gone up. There's, there's unfortunately no way to track it. However, do you think or that the community, that? do you think, let me just follow this real quick. Do you think that the community, if they were given a trade-off, if they were given a trade-off that uh, fender benders would go up, you know, for a period of time uh, until the culture changes, would they trade fender benders for a, an easier street to cross and less death and serious injury? Would they trade that? You know, if you brought somebody in here that that claims that the fender benders went up and you said, hey, would you trade it for, you know, a kid being able to cross the street easier or an, old, old, an, an elderly person being able to cross the street easier and less death and injury, would you trade that? What, how would you feel about that? So that's a good question, but we need to go back to the point that I made earlier, which was, is Venice Boulevard currently, with the amount of traffic that it hosts, right, whatever that ADT number is, was it an appropriate candidate for the road diet? And, but and that's, not, just, that's not answering my but question. No, though. but that's I'll not, get to it. Trust okay. me. Okay. So <laughs> the issue here is the fend embedders are happening when there's gridlock. Okay. So, and we know from the speed curve, right, if you slow down traffic too much, it actually increases collisions. I know it seems counterintuitive, but cars going too slow is actually a risk factor for more accidents. Where is it? I've never heard this one before. Um, Let me show you because I brought the Solomon curve with me. and actually, I wasn't aware of this issue until my mm. husband told me about it, the engineer. Mm-hmm. So let me find it here for you. So uh, the issue here is... Yeah. Average speed crash risk curve. Right. Yeah, this is cool. So And where is this from? Uh, somewhere on the internet. If you Google Solomon Curve, you'll get a cu- you'll get a couple okay. of these, and, and it, they all pretty much show the same thing. So the issue here. Oh, deviation from average speed. That's different, though. I've heard about this. Yes. Okay. So the. So issue- this this is speed differential, where you, that's like when you have a driver that's driving slow on the freeway in the left lane. Um, they claim that uh, that's a dangerous situation because you've got a speed differential between uh, somebody going fast and somebody going slow, and that's when you're going to have a crash. But this doesn't apply. I mean, does this apply to... I believe it does apply. Street traffic? I don't think it does. But I'm not an expert This is for highway traffic. But this is what what we think is happening here, is that cars are now, during rush hour times, when they're gridlock, are going too slow, and it's contributing to more collisions. More fender benders. Which are are fender benders. So the community... is concerned about this trend. Well, see, this this Solomon curve, I mean, we're talking about a deviation in average speed of, this looks like a spread of 40 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would doubt 
that you would even have a speed differential of 40 miles an hour at any point um, on Venice Boulevard, even under the old configuration. Well, that's, I, a, that's a large Actually, deviation. you would if the speed limit is 40 and, and nobody's moving in gridlock. So, so somebody would, you're, I mean, you're expecting this, this, when they talk about highways, which this is talking about, I believe, mm-hmm. um, you're driving at 60 miles an hour and you're not expecting someone to be driving at 20 miles an hour. Right. Um, when you're driving on Venice, you're never expecting to go faster than 40, 45 unless you're a maniac. Right. And, and uh, so uh, I, this, this, this is – I know what they're talking about, but this, I believe, applies to highways. Okay. But there might be, there might be something like a mini Solomon curve happening. I mean, people that are used to driving through there at high speed, I don't know anybody that would during rush hour, but – you know, may not be looking up. They may be looking at their phone, expecting to come through there at 40 miles an hour and get into a fender bender. Although the very definition of fender benders are, you know, low speed collisions. Right. And I have, like, I have our accident document here. Mm-hmm. And you can see some of the collisions are happening. Yeah. And I, th- so we've got kind of like that situation where you've got yeah. three cars, someone's rear-ended and started yeah. a chain reaction. Yeah. And again, that's the issue with the gridlock and the car's not moving fast enough. Although in these pictures, there's no traffic. What's going on here? <laughs> I don't see any traffic. Uh, I don't know if it's because, this, well, that one, the police uh, responded. I don't know if they've cleared out the area to, to try to clean the accident up and move everybody away. Yeah, I don't see. That's weird. Look at and this. And then we're having the okay, issues with in the protected bike lane where people are stuck in the gridlock. They're trying to get out of it. And, and then they make they a make, quick right. And, right. And then they hit the bicyclist. Yeah. And so, we yeah. should probably talk a little bit about the I, protected I agree on bike that lane. Too. Yeah, I agree on that, too, that the protected bike lane can be dangerous. Because you've got impatient and scofflaw drivers um, that are trying to get out of their situation. I mean, everybody hates to be in traffic. Everybody mm-hmm. hates to drive. And they're, they're trying to get out quick. And you've got a, a cyclist coming down a protected bike lane. And there's sort of a blind spot there. There is. Yeah. And in places where actually a protected bike lane has been implemented successfully, like mm-hmm. downtown Chicago, they actually have a traffic light for the bikes mm. and a traffic light for the cars. And so when you get to an intersection, the bikes are not trying to go straight while the cars are turning yeah. right. That's, that's, you know, that's Sweden, too. I mean, they've got Vision Zero, um, you know, down down to a science over there where they've they've created a whole infrastructure just for bikes. Hey, can we that would improve this situation, I think. Can Wouldn't we, you think that? Can yeah. we go through in kind of a rapid way? We're at about an hour and Okay. Um, I mean I'm enjoying myself here. I mean Selena's very Yeah, I think it's important you're to You're not yelling at us. I was afraid no, you were gonna no, yell I'm not gonna at. yell. Selena, can you I mean this what, doesn't have any traffic. Can you run through basically the points that you haven't made yet? Um, so let's talk a little bit about how the the road diet is affecting emergency responders. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that we haven't touched on yet. Do, do you want to just say them all? Is no, that possible? Well, let, let it, oh, I was going to say let her let her go into all each right. one. Okay. Why not? You want to you want to do a quick recap? Is that what you're saying? I just thought maybe that would be one thing. If if she were to lay out all her okay. points and then so, we could address. So the the issues that that we're identifying oh God, as I'm problematic. So that's okay. It uh, the issues we're identifying as problematic are these: gridlock, cut through traffic, 
impacts on our emergency responders. So delayed response times and emergency responders redirecting off of Venice Boulevard into our neighborhoods to try to get around the gridlock. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also ADA issues. Uh, so we had Jeffrey Stenary from the Department of Disability for the city come and talk to us at the Great Streets Ad Hoc Committee meeting. Mm-hmm. He said that the Department of Disability wasn't at the table during the planning for Great Streets. Yeah, and they absolutely should. And so he came, he took a walk, and he says um, there are some issues with how they've done, like, the curb cuts for the mid-block crossings. They probably don't. They probably just aim, like, diagonally straight out into the intersection. Well, let's talk a little bit about Sunny Grill, right? Mm -hmm. There's a couple issues at Sunny Grill. That's one of the businesses. With the mid-block crossing, the curb cut only faces now the mid-block crossing. There's also a crossing to Mountain View. The curb cut doesn't face that way anymore. And there's like, they built up this huge curb now. Mm. So it's difficult for me to step off of it because I've got some mobility issues of my own. Sure. Uh, the owner, Mia, mm-hmm. said that she had an elderly uh, woman trying to, you know, step down. She actually fell mm. and scraped herself up because <sighs> the curb is just too high. Bef- but And that's the fixed curb. <laughs> when they first put it in, yeah. Mia had an ADA-compliant awesome. ramp into her building. Mm-hmm. They tore the sidewalk part of that ramp up, and they made her ramp ADA non-compliant. <sighs> so she had to spend two months getting on LADOT to come back out and fix it. And they still haven't fixed what, it quite appropriately. What cross I love this. Mountain View and Venice. The other thing is when they put these mid-block crossings in, I I don't know a better way to describe it than to say that they actually put, like, curbs on the sidewalk. They sort of go in crisscross? No, instead of being kind of a smooth slope down, you know, there's actually, like, a curb. I'd have to – I don't have a picture to show you, but – for someone who has, like, a visual impairment, mm-hmm. they're not going to be expecting yeah. a curb on the sidewalk. Um, there's a mid-block crossing at the School of Rock, which is Ocean View and Venice. And they've actually created it where it's not, you know, a, like a curve, like a normal mm. curve cut. There's actually, like, a little chute <laughs> uh, with curbs on each side. And you, it's kind of directing people through this narrow opening to go through the curb cut. So if you have someone who is a bigger person who's using like a bariatric wheelchair or a bariatric scooter, I'm not quite sure they could maneuver and Mm. get through that little area Mm. to get through that curb cut. Yeah, the LADOT is, and the people that are designing our streets are clumsy and, you know, they don't. (sighs) But we're very concerned. I think one of the. be fixed. Right? They, they can be fixed. The, keep the basic road down. But well, it's right. the, the, eight, the curb cuts can definitely be fixed. I'm not yeah. sure when it comes to the emergency responders what the fix is there. One of the issues is, is again, our median has stuff in it. Mm-hmm. So emergency responders, if they're faced with gridlock, they can't just head down the middle of the street. Right. There has been talk about, well, they could go down the bike path. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, except that someone actually got a tape measure. They measured the width of the bike path to the bollards. Uh-huh. Then they went and they measured the fire truck. Yeah. The fire truck is too big and it can't go down the bike too path. Too big. Mm-hmm. So what's happening now is that the fire, uh, the paramedics and the fire trucks, they're getting stuck in the gridlock. Well, the paramedic would be able to get down there. I mean, food trucks end up I parking that lane. Well, actually, they're parking in the parking lane, and then they're setting up in the buffer zone, and then their customers are standing in the protective <laughs> bike lane to eat. But let yeah. me go back to the emergency responders. Um, what we have discovered with the old setup, right, the parking at the curb, the bike lane, the three lanes, yeah. that bike lane was actually being used as for other purposes, like people getting out of their cars so they're not so close to the other cars, Right. Um, it was also being yeah. Used. It was it was a door zone. The people were getting I, I doors. I understand. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, pros and cons. Yeah. I mean that's a terrible con because what ends up happening I is know. somebody opens a door and people get killed. They 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 get thrown into the traffic right. that's speeding by. And my brother, when he lived in L.A., he actually got doored and he oh, had right. to have surgery on his knee because of that happened. Very so, common with these bike lanes. I know. I understand. Yeah. But what but that what that space was doing that was allowing more cars to pull over so that when emergency responders came down yeah. the street, they that's had actually, that little extra wiggle room, right? That's actually one of the benefits of a road diet on something like York and... Uh, on uh, Virgil, this actually came up in a meeting um, where they asked the fire department. It was Rowena. They asked the fire department, um, hey, does it affect your, your times? And uh, the fire department was like, no, actually, it makes it easier because, um, first of all, there's less serious injury and need for us. But second, uh, there is a space for a car to pull over. And we can get right through there, or the middle turn lane is somewhere we can get through. Right. That doesn't. That's not a. That's not a solution here. No, that's not happening here. And yeah. we've had Captain Semenza with Station Sixty Two, which is right at the corner of Inglewood and Venice Boulevard, mm-hmm. actually come out and talk on the McIntyre Show about the. You know how it's impacting them in terms of delayed response and yeah, what was their delay? Yeah, yeah, what was the average delay? It was like a second. So. That would, which could mean no, a lot. He was he was talking ab- ab- about a time larger than a second. And what did he say? What was the remember? time? That's really important. Um, I, I I I don't remember, and I don't want to misquote him. Okay. And the other thing is, is that if we could get the data from the fire department and dig into it, we could probably find that out too for yeah. ourselves. If you're gonna say that. I'm sorry to be so combative, but right. if you're going to say, because I know you represent a lot of people that I would be combative with, <laughs> even if it's not you. No, we're not combative. I, we're all here okay. in L.A., and we, we all want to have a big, giant but, group But hug. if you're going to say... And love it's, each other it's like very, a town. It's a very uh, definite stretch. It's a, it's a 1.1 miles. Uh, it's very concrete. If you're going to say it increases emergency response time, you should know by how much, because otherwise, you know, how, where did you come up with that? Who came up with I heard it was a second. So what, what did, what? Wow. Yeah. Um, so here's the problem with all of this, right? On uh, August 8th, we submitted a Public Records Act request to Bonin's office, to Garcetti's office, and to LADOT. We asked them for the pre-installation and post-installation data, traffic studies, environmental impact reports, whatever they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some stuff from Bonin's office. Most of it was emails from people saying, I love it, I hate it, I love it, I hate it. Garcetti's office, similar. I thought we were going to be getting more from his office because that's the house of the 
you know, the Great Streets project, right? The Great Streets initiative. Uh, LADOT. I guess they took it over now, right? Well, no, there was, Garcetti introduced it. But this is, I, as far as I know, this is something that has been brewing inside the LADOT. And they would probably be the, the master keepers of data. That's possible. Um, but you do know Carter Rubin and Naomi Iwasaki and actually Not Nat, Naomi, but I know Carter Rubin. And Nat Gale actually started in the Great Streets studio. That's what they called it back then before Great he Streets, moved. but it's not Vision Zero. Great Streets. Right, Great Streets. Different That's program. what I'm talking about. Because this started as a Great Streets project, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems like we got a little Vision Zero thrown into it at some point. Well, uh, Great Streets was the mayor's initiative to sort of revamp some of the old business districts and, and uh, you know, do things that, that help the business district, like making a walkable corridor and that kind of thing. The way, this is the way I understand it. Vision Zero is something, you know, that came out of, as far as I understand, uh, the LADOT. And, you know, this is something that, that was adopted in New York and Chicago and all these other places where they've actually made a lot of progress. Um, on reducing traffic deaths, as far as I understand. Um, right. That, that sort of ties in with this because a great street is a safe street, but I don't know that, um, I don't think Garcetti uh, set out to, to accomplish Vision Zero goals necessarily with great streets. I don't know. But the, the people that really hold... The data are the LADOT. If you do an FOIA request with... So I did a California Public Records Act request. With LADOT? Yes. And I did it back on August 8th. And I hear through the grapevine that they have 8,000 pages that they have to give me. Great. But they haven't given it to me yet. They need to make that public. So this goes back to kind of, Nick, the the point that you were saying. Mm -hmm. We would like to see the data, right? We've been asking for data from the very beginning. Um, we would like to see the data from the fire department. The problem is, is that the response data gets thrown into this big bucket, right? Mm. And you would, first of all, it's not published yet for this year. Second of all, if you get the data, then you have to do a deep dive into the data. We want to look for responses around and near Venice Boulevard. We want to look at specific times of day. I was at a meeting of the Hilltop Neighbors Association where there was a representative from the fire department there, and we asked about that, and he said, well, we don't know that we have the manpower to dig into the data and tell you specifically what's happening on Venice Boulevard. Well, they need to give that to you because I'm sure you guys do have the manpower. They should make it public so we can all look at it. Exactly. Uh, that's one of the frustrations exactly. that I've had as as a uh, you know a person that organizes for bikeable walkable Los Angeles is I can't the, the data is not there you know like the data is is you know we know we have the Switters data but they don't you know they just don't have the manpower to to check collisions you know fender benders the, you know you get into a, a collision you wait an hour for the traffic cops to show up that's ridiculous that that tells me right there i've had uh incidents where um it was like i had to wait you know I've, I've, fingers crossed knock on wood i've never had a crash it's my fault but i've sat there and waited for the traffic cops to show up it's like an hour and a half and i'll bet you most people just leave you know mm-hmm. they they exchange information and then they leave Right. You know? so, right. And I think we're missing a lot of data. I bet you the streets are, I mean, as a cyclist, 
the streets to me feel much worse than the, than the Switters data would have me thinking, you know? Right. And uh, it goes back to that, 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 like, sort of frog boiling in the, in the pot, you know? How long are we going to accept the way that our streets are? We know that building more and more for cars doesn't work because everybody drives, we're built out. There's, there's, you, you have no choices that are safe. And, you know, I've been pushing for alternate options and there's just no real clean way to get it. We got to go street by street, block by block, Mm -hmm. and we'll eventually get there probably when everybody in this room is dead. You know, we'll all be too old to to even enjoy it. Um, so you've, you're bringing up good points. Okay, let, let's go over some. There was the uh, ADA noncompliance, right? The emergency support time, the fender benders. I don't really believe this is why you're, the people who are upset about it are upset about it. My suspicion is that they're upset about it because they have to wait in their cars longer. And they found these, you know, all of these other... bits of the arguments, you know, like that you would use in a trial, you know. But the real motivation was that people aren't willing to give up anything uh, for for something that they don't really care that much about. You know, uh, the, the, the goals of Vision Zero are not anything that people who are, uh, most of the people who are upset about this care about, probably very deeply at all. I would say. There, there is, there are voices in the in the opposition that you get the feeling like they don't give a crap if five lives lives are saved. They still want their commute time to be, you know, they don't want to lose five minutes of their commute time. So you get that feeling, but I don't get that feeling from Selena, and I believe, I, I personally, I believe that there are. Issues with the ADA compliance. Selena, that you found out after you were already motivated. What got you motivated? So the reason I got involved with this, I'm actually a retired clinical social worker. Mm -hmm. Community organizing is something that I learned about, you know, and I'm interested in. What I heard from my community was, you know, what happened here? And this doesn't appear to be working. So part of what I do is talking to a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives, trying to aggregate all of the information together, making the formal request for actual data so we can have a conversation where we can all look and see, is this really working? You know, what are the metrics for success? What, is, what are you doing with the community input? I understand that this project, Great Streets, started in in the fall of 2014. There has been a Great Streets ad hoc committee of the Mar Vista Community Council since 2014. Hmm. There was a lot of planning, but a lot of the planning, if you go and read the notes for the committee, it was about what trees should we pick for the boulevard and what trash cans should we get. And, you know, let's get this SUFA 
uh, bus bench that you uses solar energy so people can charge up their phones. Do you, do you think that committee didn't have knowledge that the lane would be reduced in each direction? So I read the notes. There are only two mentions of road diets at two different meetings. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people were at those meetings. One was actually the folks from Rowena who came in and said, we have a road diet and it's not working for us. And now yeah. Gail was there and he said, well, this is kind of out of the scope of Great Streets, but let me see if I can help you. That is some amazing inside dirt, that, actually. <laughs> it's, it's actually public knowledge on the Marvista Community I know, Council I'm, website. I'm not the other meeting, to that level, The other meeting, I believe that Gail was there also with Bonin and, and they were talking about road diet. I have to be honest with you. I'm sure there were a select group of people in our community who knew about the road diet. The issue here is that the community at large well, there didn't were, know. Apparently, there was so much information put out. See, the thing is, here's the problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.